pray that, that as I prepare to preach, as I prepare to um, share the word this morning, that I would, uh, that I would do it well. Um, I pray that, that all of that other stuff would kind of fall away and that I'd focus on, on just preaching the good news, that I would focus on sharing the gospel, um, talking about you, Lord. And, and I pray um, that everybody who's here today, that they would hear from you and, and know you more, um, that folks would... Uh, um, come to come to love you more intimately and stand in your presence this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so this week, I uh, accidentally came across something that applies very well uh, to what we're talking about today. I, on midweek, I was talking to another pastor about, um, about some Bible passage. Uh, I think the passage that they're hearing at the Lutheran Church this week, I was talking to Sean, um, he was a very clever guy, uh, and and we were talking about this passage, and and I I got to thinking about, and I talked with him a little bit about, um, like in the first century, so way back when, um, it's easy to read the Bible and assume Jesus showed up and everything he was teaching was completely out of the blue, right? But but in context, everything that Jesus taught. Um, it fits into what was going on at the time. Like, so there were all of these Jewish scholars since, since like the era of the return from the exile. There are all these Jewish scholars, and like they had, they had started to develop this rich intellectual history and all of these arguments. By the way, if you want to read some fun stuff, reading the arguments of the rabbis from the first century and before is super entertaining um, for all the wrong reasons. Um, it's also very enlightening and it's very interesting, but there's some crazy stuff they argued about. Um, one of which we're going to talk about today. Uh, there were two rabbis that were really prominent. One is Hillel, and the other is a guy named Shammai, right? And I'm pronouncing it wrong, and I don't care. Um, so I, I don't – anyway, I've heard it pronounced ten different ways, and so I just picked one. Um, <laughs> so Hillel was the guy that the Pharisees came from, right? Shammai was the guy that the Sadducees came from. And these are the two major streams of thought that, that sort of created everything. And a lot of Jesus' teachings are commentaries on what those rabbis taught. And you can learn a great deal about what Jesus was, was talking about by studying that. That's sort of outside of what we're going to talk about today because we're going to be in the book of Acts. Um, but there was an argument I read about last week when I thought, hey, I wonder about this. And I started studying some, some of the arguments. And I came across a passage about lying in which Hillel and Shammai argued about <clears throat> whether or not it was acceptable to tell a bride she was pretty on her wedding day when she is not. <laughs> and let's get a quick show of hands. <laughs> Can you lie to a bride on her wedding day? Wow. <laughs> Y'all are brutal. <laughs> Man, but... That's what Shammai said. Actually, that is exactly right. Shammai said, no, it's never a lie because every bride is beautiful on her wedding day. Um, but that was before Bridezilla was a TV show. Um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, so they had this huge argument back and forth about whether or not it's okay to lie. And, and lying, I mean, if you go all the way back, lying is just this thing that has been around since the very beginning. In fact, if you look at the fall, right, um, the very first thing that Adam and Eve did when they, um, when they ate of the fruit, right, was they, they covered up, actually, right? And then they started blaming each other. But the first thing they did was cover up. And the reason they did that was, like before that, they had nothing to hide. And then all of a sudden, 
they were embarrassed. Because all of a sudden, sin enters the world, and when you got sin, you got something to hide, right? And I, I, every time I ever read that, I always think that that's sort of the beginning of the root of distance between husbands and wives and believers and everyone else is we have things we just don't want anybody to know, right? And that oftentimes leads to lying. Um, we're going to be talking about lying in the church. Um, specifically, we're going to be in the book of Acts. Um, we're going to look at Acts 4:32 to 5:11. Um, we, we talked about the body of Christ theology for about two months there. Um, and now we're kind of working our way into what does the body of Christ look like in motion. Um, and this is a little more complicated. We're going to do a lot of the book of Acts for this series. Um, and, and I think that um, I think there's something huge in this that it's difficult to pick out, but is really important. I've seen this passage preached. Or I've read this. Pa- I've actually never seen anybody preach this passage. I've read this passage mistreated quite a few times, and so we're going to try and do our best to handle it rightly today. Um, this is the early church. This is in the first year, probably. Um, you've got several thousand people. They're all in Jerusalem. They haven't spread out yet. There hasn't been heavy persecution yet. Um, there are two kinds of passages in the scriptures. Before we get into it, this is just a, it's called hermeneutics is the technical term. It's how you interpret scripture. There are descriptive passages, right? A descriptive passage might be something like um, it's telling a story. So like there's a, there's a woman named Yael in the Old Testament. Um, and Yael is very famous for one thing in particular, an enemy king was running away from the Hebrew army, and she took this man into her tent to hide him. She helped him fall asleep, and then she drove a tent stake through his head. That would be a descriptive passage. It is describing an event that happened, not telling us what we should be doing. Got that, wives? (laughs) Um, It is descriptive. So there are a lot of things that we see described that are not prescribed, meaning they are told to us. We are not told to do them. Got it? There's a lot of description in the book of Acts that people have turned into prescription, right? So they're saying there are people who will read the story we're going to read, which we're going to look at a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. Um, This is not a prescriptive. It is a descriptive, but there are principles behind it. And once we figure out what the principles are, we can know what to learn from it. But it is not a go and do likewise. Okay? So, Acts 4, 32 to 35. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Now, we're going to hit stop there real quick. Um, This is a description of what the church looked like when everybody was like full of the spirit and things were moving and there's this new community. Nobody's like treating anybody else as like, well, hey, you're not a part of my family. They're taking care of each other, right? Um, If somebody needed help with something, they'd help. If somebody needed something, they would lend. If somebody needed, there was just a great deal of integration that took place. And that is awesome, right? Anybody ever had a roommate like that? Where like everything just gets traded back and forth and it's comfortable and it's awesome? Um, and, and like those kinds of relationships are fantastic. Um, anybody ever have a sibling that you fight over every little thing? Like you, you could be not related and have this kind of relationship. You can be related and not, right? We as believers are related. We're unified in the spirit. We are the body of Christ. We're supposed to have close, intimate connection. Um, 
unfortunately, this is not what usually happens. This is a very difficult thing to achieve. Most of us, let me ask something real quick. How's everybody doing today? All right. How many of you just told the truth? <laughs> how many of you automatically say fine or good when you're asked, regardless of how you feel? It's the truth, isn't it? Because if you say, you know what, my dog died, and uh, I'm running short on money for my bills this month, and I'm kind of depressed. People don't want to hear that, right? But, like, that is sort of the antithesis of what's going on here. The church is, like, very open and connected, and they're interconnected, and there's relationship. Um, I've discovered in my time in the church, a lot of people will listen to you, and all you have to do is talk. But most of the time we assume my problems, mine, I deal with them, and I put on a face, right? Um, that face is a problem, and we're going to get to that in the next chapter, but hold on. Um, so they shared everything they have. With great powers, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there was no needy persons amongst them. Meaning, by the way, this is a time when there was a Jewish law against, like if somebody, uh, actually Jesus taught this. Um, it's a variation from standard Jewish law. If somebody lends you their coat as collateral, you have to give it back at the end of the day, right? You know why? They could freeze to death sleeping at night because your cloak was also your blanket. Got it? And so Jesus taught, well, look, you've you got to lend it back to him at the end of the day. You can use it as collateral, but it's a back-and-forth deal. Don't let your brother freeze because he was short on money. Right? I mean, this is how they treated each other. If somebody was hungry, they fed them. This is a time when people starved to death. If somebody was short on their tax money, everybody pitched in and they helped. They took care of each other like a family. Um, from time to time, for from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Um, this is a practice we see in the very beginning of the church. We see it throughout the church where people would bring offerings, and the offerings were used for the, the good of the congregation, right? Um, Paul collected offerings for uh, famine relief in other churches. Uh, like you see it in the epistles, he talks about collecting money to, and like the attitude is we take care of each other, right? The attitude is not my family is my problem, your family is your problem. So if the guy next to you, his house burns down, you go take care of it. I am one of the things I used to see when we lived in uh, in Indiana. There were a lot of Amish folks. There was this huge tornado set that came through a place called Napanee. It made national news, and um, there were so many people that came out and helped with cleanup and repair and distribution of supplies and everything else that FEMA wouldn't help. They're like, oh, yeah, there's too much money invested here already, so you don't qualify for emergency you know, management. Um, but the Amish, I, was, I, I saw this. There were people out waiting for insurance adjusters to come and look at their houses, and the Amish were already putting up new barns for their neighbors um, because the attitude is, your family, we take care of you. This is what Paul is talking about. This is ideal. Um, and some of y'all have had relationships like that. Some of y'all are starving to death for relationships like that. Isn't it true? Um, so, moving on. Um, so, there, the people would sell their property and they would give it. Mind you, it does not say this was required. This is a descriptive passage. I have read where people have turned this into, you must... Do this or you're not a believer. We're not saved because we give money. We're not saved because we're generous. We're not saved because of these things. We're saved because we believe in Jesus and Jesus died for our sins. Christ carried my sin. Christ carried your sin. You could never earn salvation. It is a free gift given to you through the blood of Christ, and it is fantastic. 
Um, a product of that salvation is we become generous, right? We love because he first loved us. We sacrifice because he sacrificed for us. We step in the way of problems for other people because, like, Jesus did that on our behalf. We are family because Jesus died for us. Like, it is a whole thing. We forgive because we've been forgiven for so much. Like, you cannot find someone around you who will ever sin against you more than we as individuals have all sinned against God. Like, and so, like, it makes forgiveness an easier thing because it's like, well, I was forgiven, and so I forgive others. Does that mean it's instant? No. Sometimes forgiveness is a process. Otherwise, it's cheap and stupid. Like, it takes work, and it's emotional, and it's hard. Um, but the reality is that this is what the church had become. It was this tight-knit community of people who loved each other. Um, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. By the way, Barnabas, anybody recognize that name? All over the New Testament. This is that guy. He is from the beginning, um, which means son of encouragement. Uh, bar, B-A-R in Hebrew is son of, right? Encouragement or um, there are a bunch of different ways this can be read. Uh, exhortation, uh, prophecy, but that's probably the weakest translation you're going to find. Um, like it, it basically means that he is a person who is inclined to like come up beside people and cheer them on, right? And point to Jesus over and over again and, like, help. He is that guy. Um, He is, oh, golly, there are people in this church like this, right? There are a lot of people like this. These are the people who will come along and say, you did a good job. Actually, one thing I miss about the Andersons being here, for a long time, if I had a bad sermon where I preached and I got done and I'm like, oh, that was awful. I know it happens once in a while. It's hard to believe. Um, but I would call Brooke and say, hey, what did you think of the sermon today? And he would make me feel better, right? <laughs> um, because he was kind of that son of encouragement. That was his way about him. Um, so Barnabas sold a field he owned and brought the money to put it at the apostles' feet. Now, I read this. This is maybe a theoretical thing. It's not solid in the text. But if Joseph, meaning Barnabas, was a Levite, he was forbidden by the law to own property. So this is a man who did not own property. The only property he could have owned by Jewish law is the piece of land he was going to be buried on. <laughs> so think about that. Like, that is an eye toward eternity. Like, I don't even care where they bury me. I'm getting rid of that and giving it to people. That's powerful, right? Um, it may be the case that those laws were no longer followed. I thought it was cool. I thought I'd share it. Um, but this is a guy whose heart was, I will give everything for the church. And we see Barnabas in his life live that out. This is not just a thing that he did. It is who he was, um, which is the difference, honestly, between forcing yourself to forgive, forcing yourself to love, forcing yourself to, to um, give and to care for and to listen and everything else and being the person who does that. Um, so chapter 4 ends. Chapter 5 begins. Anybody know this story? <laughs> My wife has been itching to hear me preach about this. She's talked about it all week. <laughs> um, now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. So Ananias says, we're going to sell this piece of property, and we're going to give some of the money to the church. Um, He was not under obligation to do this at all. 
because Peter tells us that, okay? So, first off, the fact that he held money back is not a sin. Peter acknowledges that in in the next verse. So I want to say this up front because there are folks who will take this verse and say, you should give everything, right? This is a descriptive of the early church, which they were very generous, which is good, right? And that's a principle that we should follow. But it is not saying that we must sell everything, you know, but that we should take care of each other. Um, So, They hold back part of the money. Why would somebody do that, by the way? Why would somebody lie about giving part of the money? You know, hey, I gave you all the money I made instead of only giving like half of it. Why would somebody do that? Because you look awesome. It's not to save face because it's not like they did something dumb. It was so they could look awesome, right? I mean, there's like three or four reasons people lie. To stay out of trouble is one of them, right? And to look awesome is another, Right? And how many, I mean, that's an easy one, isn't it? Anybody ever tell a story and make it a little bigger? Right? Just to make you look cool? I, that is one of my biggest struggles in life. I, I, I am not a native Texan, but I have the gift of Texanization. Um, and I try really hard to only tell, like, what happened. And, and I try really, this is something over the years God has really pushed me to fix. Um, but this is who Ananias is. Ananias wants to look awesome in front of the church. He wants to look generous. He wants people to look at him like they're looking at Barnabas and say, that guy is so awesome, he needs a nickname. Right? Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. All right, it's about to get really sticky, folks. Okay? So if you have sore toes already, watch out. Um, Peter acknowledges it was your land, you didn't have to sell it. It was your money, you didn't have to give all of it. But you lied about how much you gave so that you could look better. Um, This is such a huge sin because he's lying to God. It doesn't seem like he's lying to God. It seems like he's lying to the church, right? Um, There are a lot of ways we lie to the church. Um, This is not just about money. This is a big, big, big conversation, isn't it? Um, in the last year, I watched this kind of thing very carefully because it's a big deal to me. In the last year, I've read about um, like five or six ministers who've committed suicide, right? Have you all noticed this in the news? Because it's easy to get depressed doing this job. It is. And it is the case that it is easy when people say, how are you doing, to say, fine, you think nobody asked those guys how they were doing? Probably not. Like, I mean, people probably asked. And, and honestly, there's this pressure, and it's a pressure that exists throughout the church because I felt this before I was a pastor. I really felt it once I was in ministry that I had to look perfect all the time. I couldn't tell people I was depressed. I couldn't tell people that I was struggling with sin. I couldn't tell people that I was overcome often by my own, like, inability to control my sin. Like, I couldn't tell people that I had to pretend to be perfect. Right? Anybody ever feel that way? There's like three of us. I see a lot of nods, actually. Um, And so what these guys did was they lied about money. We lie 
sometimes because it's easy, because it looks good, right? Because it's safe. Safe is the big one, isn't it? Because part of the reason we don't tell people I struggle with sin is, I remember for years when I was in, in ministry and I was struggling with sin, I wouldn't tell anybody because if you struggle with sin, there's a good chance you get fired. Right? I mean, that's it. Like, I didn't want to lose my job. Um, I, was, I didn't want people to know that I was awful, but I also didn't want to lose my job. Now I'm open about it. I'm terrible. Um, but nobody's surprised to hear me say that, are you? Because I'm human. Um, it was... Uh, uh, Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, uh, Jeremy's head popped up when I said it. Um, Spurgeon, <laughs> Spurgeon once said that if if he ever found a perfect church, he would never go there because he'd ruin it. Right? The reality is there are hypocrites everywhere. The trick is that sometimes we pretend we're not. Right? And that's actually what makes you a hypocrite. If you pretend you don't sin, if you pretend you're perfect, if you pretend you don't struggle mentally or you don't struggle emotionally or that you've got it all together, that you've never screwed up, or you've never fallen on your face, or anything else. Like, that's hypocrisy. That is sinful. That's lying to God. Um, And that's hard, because, like, if somebody hurts me, I don't want to go and say, what you said hurt me. Anybody love doing that? Not at all, right? Jess has figured me out. Like, if I get irritable about something, I'll hold it in for about a week. And she knows, like, that she has to start prodding me to get me to talk. Um, if somebody, like if I'm depressed or if I'm angry or if I'm frustrated, I I have these things, these tells. And I I still, I don't say those things easily because it's hard, um, because it's safe to hide. Um, But that's not what we're supposed to do. You know what that is? That's standing in the Garden of Eden with your fig leaves, right? Creating a barrier between you and the rest of the church. This is not about giving money. It's about lying. It's about being fake in front of the rest of the church. It's about being somebody that you're not. Um, if you don't struggle with sin, you don't need Jesus. Like, I'm here because I need Jesus. I'm standing up front and I need Jesus. Um, I need Jesus desperately. Like I, I, my challenge for you as we go through this, i got a couple more verses, but I want to stop here and just say this. Look at who you are. Look at where you're at. Do you hide? Do you have a big, ugly pile of mess? My wife cleaned our kid's room, and we learned something about our son this week. Every time we told him to clean his room, he would push everything under his bed. <laughs> and whenever he needed to find something, he would pull his mattress off and look through the springs and find what he was looking for and then push the mattress back. <laughs> I'm not making that up. <laughs> the problem is that you can only do that so long and your room isn't really clean. And so Jess cleaned their rooms, and what she did was she pulled everything out and piled it up in the middle of the floor, and it was a pile that was bigger than, like, him by five, right? Um, Some of us do that. We have struggles. We have depression. We have anxiety. We have disasters in our marriage and our relationships. We have people that we're hurt by and angry at and frustrated with. Forgiveness we can't quite give. People we want to confess to and ask for forgiveness from. And what we're doing is we're playing a Titus. Get it under that bed. Get it down there, and then it's gone forever, except it's not, right? Like, we're called, and that's what the church is doing here that's amazing. It's not about openness with possessions. That's a part of it. It's about openness, period, right? Anytime I've ever been in close relationships with people where we share everything, there's a great deal of openness in that, in that setup, right? 
You have to trust each other. And you have to lean on each other. You have to care about each other, and then you can be open and share. Otherwise, like, it creates division and distance. Um, so what Ananias has done here is he lied. But why did he lie? He lied to look awesome. He hid who he really was. Um, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. The great fear and great fear seized all who heard about what had happened. And then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out to bury him. So he lied. Peter called him out. He dropped dead. Right? Um, I have a people were people were terrified when they heard this. I mean, wouldn't you be? Oh my gosh. You lie to the church, you lie to the Holy Spirit, and you die. Um, we don't see this very often today. Um, I would venture to say, um, I know when I lied all the time, when it was easier to lie than to tell the truth, when it was, I would lie when it was as easy to tell the truth, um, it killed me inside. Right? And so it may not be the case that we fall dead but I'm going to tell you that it'll dry out inside to be hidden. Like if you create division and you live alone and you live your whole life behind a mask, it dries you out and kills you spiritually. It creates a push against you and Jesus because Jesus like, like Jesus didn't die for us so we could pretend to be perfect. He died for us so we could be born again. And that born again is a hard thing. It means be honest, be real. We have to take that stuff seriously because it will kill you spiritually to hide. It will kill you spiritually to like bottle up hatred and anger and resentment and bitterness and all that other garbage. It will kill you. So they take him out to bury him. About three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, "Um, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, that is the price. So she goes along with her husband, um, knowing, right? And Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of, those, the, feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will, also, they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell dead at his feet and died. Or she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Now, that great fear, let me explain something here. I have a chop saw in my garage. Anybody ever use one of these? That is a fun toy. I was cutting some stuff up to building something in the backyard a couple of years ago, and I was in a huge hurry. And I chopped and lifted and chopped and lifted and pulled my board through because I was creating short boards, which is what you do with a saw. Um, And I brought it up, and the guard didn't let go. And I brought my hand underneath the running blade, and it it gashed my hand up. And I immediately wrapped it up because I thought, holy mess, I just stuck my hand in a running saw. And we went to the emergency room, and I found out it wasn't quite that bad. Um, It was not the worst sawing my hand off accident ever. <laughs> but you know what? I've been a lot more careful with that saw since. Right? What do we do with this passage? When we talk to each other, when we deal with each other, when we approach the church, when we speak about things related to like us talking to God or whatever, we be honest. You know why? Because God is not a toy. 
God is not the neighbor to trick into something. God is not a kid that we tell a fairy tale to. God is not your spouse who you can say things to them and they believe you because they just don't know any better. God sees straight to the core of who we are and we have to take him seriously. Right? We have to handle him seriously. Because he's, honestly, he's more dangerous than the saw. But he's wonderful because he died, like sent his son to die for us. He's wonderful because he provides for us. He's wonderful because he's full of mercy and grace and he's glorious and awesome. He is wonderful, but he is serious. My challenge for you guys is is this. Like going out of here today, we're actually going to do communion today. I'm going to call my guys forward for communion. Um, My challenge for you today, my encouragement, um, first off is as we take communion, as we, as we take the Lord's Supper, as we, we take the elements, the